Welcome to Blake Street Banter on the farm. Tyler, say hi. What's up? What's up? And we are joined by K-Dub of Purple Row. Kenneth, can you say hey? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for spending some time with us. We are just going to talk some prospects, talk some minor league affiliates. I believe we are less than two months out from some minor league ball. I know I'm excited. I guess I keep seeing the buy your single game tickets now post everywhere, and I'm pretty stoked about it. Not going to lie. It's a great escape from just the never-ending lockout talk. Like this is, you know, it's nice to have this to look forward to, at least. I think we talked about that every episode. <laughs> right. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, yeah, usually we always give you a player bio to start the start the pod. Uh, but we're going to let Kenneth give us his bio. Kenneth, you are big on prospects. You do a lot of that stuff for the Purple Row. Uh, how do you evaluate players? How do you look at players? What are kind of, what's your profile? What's your bio before we get started um, with this? Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a writer at Purple Row. I'm also a high school coach in the Denver Metro area. So it's one where having played in college, having, you know, played for years and years and also teaching the game to a younger generation, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in a lot of the mechanics of the game and how, and really kind of how players can, evolve their game and some of the things that are necessary to accomplish those goals. So when I'm looking at a prospect, when I'm kind of getting a good impression on a player, I mean, you always have to just look at the tools that they have and what their strengths are in the first place, because that's going to ultimately lead to performance. And those are kind of the two biggest aspects, because whenever we're talking about prospects or younger players that are developing, the goal is always to have a big league player. And that's what a lot of these prospect rankings are based off of is, are they able to become, you know, a player at the game's highest level and how big of an impact can they have? So what they do well, the tools that they already have in their kit and does it show up in games? I mean, those are two of the biggest aspects that I think get overlooked. And I think especially on an amateur level, athleticism and age are always important because it allows you to project. It allows you to look ahead and say, okay, I think that this guy is capable of this much more because he's so young and because he has these physical gifts, but you know, it, it paper champions don't, don't get onto the major <laughs> league roster too often. And if you don't have what, you know, those, those contact skills, that velocity, that natural spin on, on uh, you know, your pitches, it's not going to show up in games and they don't progress. So, you know, what they do well and does it show up in games, those are always two of the biggest things to look for when I'm looking at a prospect. Appreciate that. Yeah, well-informed and smart outlook on it. And it's kind of encompassing everything that it is, not just what did they do for me recently, but what did they come out as and where they're possibly going to go. Appreciate that. Where... You're in the Denver area, right? So where are you coaching? I'm Jefferson High School. TJ, my uh, I graduated from TJ in 2006. Coached for a little while afterwards. You guys might know of somebody who went there that was on two of my teams. Oh. Um, and then uh, got back into coaching. I've been there for the past three years uh, after you know working in finance for a very long time. So when when would be the last time that you spoke to K Free? It was before he left for Evansville. So okay. it was before his senior year after I got back from college. That's that's such a fun connection to have. And, you know, the hometown and then for the, the fandom too. Yeah. I mean, it's 
it's weird for me, especially as, you know, uh, somebody who covers the Rockies pretty extensively on Purple Row. I really just want to watch Kyle. I don't want to nitpick. I don't want to, you know, really dig too deep on him because I remember the 14 year old guy out there who had that natural inclination for pitching and, and being a good ball player. So it's a lot more fun for me to just sit back and watch him do his thing. Be a proud coach. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I coached a little bit long time ago and I see, I saw some of the guys go to college and see what they were doing after no pros. I'm, I'm not to your level, but it was cool following along with them and see what they were doing. I take uh, zero credit for what you <laughs> right? So, I mean, that is not on me. I just happened to be there for, you know, a really good ball player at a young age. When they're talented, they, it just, it just takes it to the next level. That's fun. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk rocks prospects. Uh, we, I'm going to introduce you to Willie Abreu, uh, played most of the season last year with Hartford out of Miami, 2016 round, uh, round six draft pick 21 stats, only 228 at bats was injured off and on. I think three or four, yeah, four injuries throughout the season has had some pop when he was in the lineup. Uh, just, and it's just a fun name. I just associate Abreu with fantastic things just because of all the MLB players that have come from it. Uh, but yeah, Willie Brayu out of Miami. And then, yeah, I'm going to take the time on Jack Blomgren, who's kind of become like a under the radar favorite of this podcast. We, you know, we talked about him on, I think the first two episodes of this, and then also in our Carl Kaufman interview, because Jack Blomgren is just gritty and he gets things done. 2020 round five pick out of Michigan um, just does, you know, as K-Dub was mentioning, he has, you know, some tools that just always show up and that some of them are kind of intangible with his grit. A lot of that leads to, you know, long at bats, a lot of walks, but also just his ability to make plays on the base paths and also in the field. So I kind of look at Blomgren as, as Garrett Hampson 2.0. I think we've dropped that comparison here before. Uh, just does a lot of things right. He takes advantage of the skills that he does have. He's not trying to play out of the box and, and swing for the fences. So uh, Jack Blomgren, looking forward to what he does at Hartford this year, uh, assuming that that's where he goes and doesn't like skip up to AAA or something. But um, he'll be he'll be fun to watch this season. Bloomy, Bloomy gets a lot of love. He was one of the defensive players that Duke and Darnell appreciates behind him too. So he's just out there with his glove doing cool things. And that's a fantastic transition into our next little topic. So Keith Law of The Athletic recently released his top 20 prospects of the Rockies organization. Um, you guys have your thoughts, uh, but he did mention somebody, Blomgren, as they almost made the cut list as a good utility player with strong contact skills and speed and a high baseball IQ. They might try him off out in center, become a jack of all trades, bench piece, AKA Hampson 2.0. So we were before Keith law in that description. Just want to put a little <laughs> pin in that. Amazing. He didn't include that in the article. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> come on, Keith. Listen, man. Uh, but yeah, so he listed 20. I mean, obviously the top two, top three were not surprising whatsoever. Uh, Zach Veen, true Romo and Benny Mott, uh, Gummery. What were some of the things you agreed with, disagreed with, as you looked at this list of 20 plus a few extras? Do you want to start us off, Kenny? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's not, a, you know, a ton of disagreement. And it it's very apparent looking at the list that as, you know, a national 
writer and covering all systems across the league. He's much more well-versed in the full season, guys. Um, the Rockies have a lot of players coming out of the DSL, about to be going to the complex league, or just got there and are about to appear in Fresno that make up a large amount of kind of the raw talent in the system. Um, you know, consolidating this list down to 20, I think some of that is missed a little bit. The only pitcher that I saw on here was Brian Castillo um, out of the DSL. And there's a good crop of arms that the Rockies have down there. It's super volatile, uh, you know, with how far away they are. So I understand uh, the emphasis on the full season ball, but you know, that's, that's one thing that I did notice on this list is a lot of guys who aren't quite on his radar are some talented, some of the most talented players in the system. Yeah. And we've spent a fair amount of time talking about that, how the Rockies have really just been killing it on the international front, not to enough credit um, and, and, you know, not getting the credit from Keith law either, but as you mentioned, top 20 list, you got to make a lot of tough cuts. Um, but one of the, the cuts that we were surprised by was Ryan Vallade. Um, you know, we, we kind of agree, like just talked about this before agreed that, Hey, you know, you, we could understand him not being top five, top 10, but excluding him from the list is, a, is a bit much. And then kind of keeping with that theme of these, these bats stashed down the list, Mike Toglia at 19 also seems a little bit, you know, conservative with the ranking. Um, again, another guy, I could understand him being outside the top 10, but almost outside the top 20 is, is a lot, given that he does have, you know, great tools and has shown them in games. There's, you know, plenty of blemishes on his game with the strikeouts, lack of contact, but overall his game is, you know, intriguing. So just interesting to see those two bats much lower than I think most Rockies fans would place them. Yeah, I was, I'm curious, like if Belayed and Tolia, since they are so close, kind of what Kata was saying about the age and close to the making the big leagues, like he put them, he put them down a little bit because of that. I don't know the thought process, obviously, but I always think of when these top 20 prospects, these prospect lists come out, they kind of, they consider the age and the, the time they're about to hit the big leagues a little bit. But, I mean, they're still prospects until they're up there. So, I don't know. I could be completely off. No, I mean, I think it definitely carries some weight. Um, one thing that I, I found interesting that I just uh, saw on this list, a quarter of the top 20 is constructed by the 2021 draft. You have Hunter Goodman. You have McCade Brown. You have Joe Rock. You have uh, Montgomery. And you have Jaden Hill all sandwiched in there, too. So, um, I don't necessarily want to say a recency bias, and this is certainly something that could be a byproduct of where the Rocky system has been over the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, hey, that could be indicating a shift in the draft strategy a little bit, too. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit higher and talent that the Rockies have accumulated over the past year or two is kind of showing up on this list. Right. And I think it's also worth noting that of a lot of the national scouts that I've seen report on farm systems, I think Keith Law has actually been one of the more optimistic ones about the Rockies in the last few years. Like a lot of people, you know, have been crying that the the sky is falling uh, in, in the last few years. And obviously we all know that things have been a little bleak, but I think Law has been a little bit more optimistic. So this is, it's, it's kind of interesting to keep that in mind. Right. And going back to, what K-Dub was saying, the, the 
A affiliates, low A and high A, both won their leagues, their divisions last season. So if you're winning things, you obviously have the talent. And that comes from that ninth, that 2019 draft draft picks. So hopefully the 21 draft picks come in and do really cool things just like the other guys did. That's um, not to mention that, you know, the ACL, it was the first time the Rockies had a complex team last year and they beat the snot out of everybody. So, you know, just another one of those lower levels really succeeded in shining for this organization. Gotta love it. Like there is, like, I'm going to, this is just going to be the quote of the pod. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is, it is on the up and up. We rose two or three as an organization drafts, um, overall draft, uh, organization rankings. There's the word I was looking for prospect rankings, um, according to MILB. So we are, they are doing cool things. They are doing good things in the front office as much as we might not agree with that. <laughs> um, all right, next MILB signing. So there was, they've been busy signing some guys to fill in some rosters, uh, put in Albuquerque, Hartford, um, three of the most recent ones are Tyler Hill, Winton Bernard and Carlos Perez. And we're just going to touch on each one of those a little bit. Um, Winton Bernard, friend of the pod, uh, coming in, re-signed with, uh, with the Rockies, 23 steals out of 25 attempts, just a speed guy plays great defense. He can score from second base on an infield single to the pitcher. If he needs to just a fantastic dude, everybody loves him. And he's still just grinding away at, at like, what is he? 30. Yeah. 31 years old, just trying to keep playing and making his way. I'm, I'm, this is a personal good feeling signing. I absolutely love Winton. Fantastic dude. And the fact that his character and he's going to be on that isotopes team and just seeing him play ball is going to be super exciting, especially for the Rockies. Yeah, I really hope we can get another Stephen Cardulo-type story out of Winton Bernard. You know, obviously Cardulo was not, you know, some special player when he came up, but it was amazing to see a guy who'd been grinding for so long get his shot and then also to hit a few home runs, um, make some memories. That was, you know, kind of a special thing as a fan to see happen. Um, but turning the page to Tyler Hill, another outfielder brought into the system, you know, there's not as much to talk about here. He's a 25-year-old who hasn't played above high A yet, hasn't touched double A. I would imagine that's where the Rockies are signing him to play. You know, maybe they sent him to triple A, but just given the fact that he hasn't touched double A, that's a little harder to envision. A little bit of speed, stole 20 bags um, in 2021. Uh, he was playing indie ball too, I think. So, you know, not, you know, numbers to take at face value, but there's a little bit of speed, a little bit of power. He's had plate discipline throughout his minor league career. So it's kind of just a nice rounded, nothing special type profile. Yeah. And then uh, to finish it up, uh, Carlos Perez uh, was also signed as a 30, 31 year old catcher. Uh, he has over two years of service time accumulated between 2015 and uh, 2018. That was with the Angels, very briefly with the Braves, and a little bit with the Texas Rangers in 2018. Uh, has 11 career home runs and a 576 OPS, but he did bop 31 homers last year in AAA. Um, you know, the defense is there. There might be enough power with the bat to where you can kind of see, okay, this is a backup catcher at a pinch. And I think with the state of the Rocky system, Willie McIver was pushed real hard 
to kind of fill a void there in the upper levels, maybe, a, you know, a little too much towards the end of the season. Um, so they have Brian Servin, um, who has kind of held his own in Albuquerque, but being able to add Carlos Perez to the uh, equation gives a little bit more insurance in the upper levels of the minor leagues at the catching position. Do we see Perez at all in purple pinstripes? What do you guys think? Given the that there's two catchers on the 40 man, I think the Rockies are kind of strategically playing things. Like they don't want to have, you know, Willie Mack on there, haven't added Brian Servin yet. Maybe they just want to add like Carlos. If he's playing well enough, maybe they add him if there's an injury at the MLB level. But kind of hard to see him busting down the door as a 31-year-old. I completely agree. And, you know, it's it's very understandable, though, that you have to have that um, backup plan in place at the catching position, especially because there isn't that clear third catcher um, on the 40-man roster. So there's a high probability you might have to break the glass in case of an emergency there. And having a few extra bodies there is not a bad idea at all. When I think we got a little lucky last year, with the health of the catchers, I think Elias Diaz and Dom Nunez like might have had some little stinger type injuries, but I don't think either had any real missed time. They were, you know, healthy all year. It was a nice little rotation just to keep them healthy, but that's kind of hard to, to contain or maintain year to year. Yeah, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, <laughs> definitely an outlier. Don't expect that. Uh, so those are your MILB signings from the last week or two. Uh, so let's get into it. This is this is the meat of meat of the pod right here. We are talking starting pitching prospects. Uh, Tyler and K Dub are going to give their top seven pitchers in the system as we go through, and I'm just going to throw in some relief pitchers in there because we are an advocate for relief pitchers here. So give some give some of the bullpen arm barn guys some love while we talk starting pitchers. So K Dub, as our guest, why don't you go first? I appreciate it. Uh, so the top on my board of my top seven is going to be Chris McMahon. Um, he's a very well-known name in the Rocky system. He made his uh, debut last season, pitching the entire year at high A Spokane. I was a second round pick out of the university of Miami. And honestly, when I look at pitching prospects, especially on a starting pitching prospect, there's always a bullpen risk to some degree with guys. Um, I see a much more well-rounded profile with Chris McMahon that leads me to believe that he will be able to stick as a starting pitcher a lot better than some other pitchers in this system and just in the minor leagues as a whole. So uh, good stuff, good fastball. That changeup is really coming around. And if that can become a plus third offering for him, I think that can be the difference between kind of, you know, a number four starter, which enough of the profile says that already to maybe a two or a three guy. So I'm, I'm very optimistic on Chris McMahon sticking as a good starting pitcher for the Rockies. Love to hear that. Big Chris McMahon fans here. He's, he had a good season. He really figured it out. And just like his first professional season, like you can't be mad how that turned out. That was pretty good. Tyler, who's your guy? Well, I, I thought about going with McMahon. He's close for me, but um, Ryan Rolleston, he's just sticking at number one for me. I kind of threw last season out a little bit, except, you know, you look at the beginning of last year. I don't have the stats pulled up, but before he had the appendix, the appendicitis deal, he was looking fantastic in AAA. 
looked like the guy we wanted him to be. His changeup, speaking of, you know, the developing changeups, his changeup last year looked really solid. We know he has a great curveball. Fastball, you know, isn't plus, but it's it's certainly something he can command where he wants it to go. Um, but yeah, things unraveled with the appendicitis, had a hand injury last year. So we didn't really get to see Rollison's full development. But I still see, you know, this this lefty with three solid pitches, maybe the slider develops and he can be a number two type guy. That's kind of where I see him. Maybe not like the best number two starter, but I think that that's kind of where he could end up, especially if the slider, you know, he's able to use it. Um, but yeah, him and McMahon are, are real close for me, though. That wouldn't be a bad rotation with both of those guys in it down the road. Be, be okay with that. Uh, your number one reliever, surprise, surprise, is Dugan Darnell. Out of the woodworks, our man, um, just incredible, just incredible stuff. Across all the A affiliates, five, 55 innings, 1.95 ERA, 13 Ks per nine, has the stuff that's going to play at Hartford, Albuquerque, and work his way through the system. And Darnell is just going to keep knocking on, knocking down doors, hashtag shake the room. Let's go Darnell. I- I love the coverage that you guys have had on Darnell. Um, I'll do the Pebble Report cod, uh, excuse me, the Pebble Report podcast for Purple Row. And the entire season, you know, when we're we're giving our our highlights for the most recent performance of the week, our best players of the month. I mean, it became and with Ryan Feltner too, it just taboo. It's like, you know, here's here's everything else. And Darnell did it again. And so, you know, that's just his entire 2021 was so impressive, especially for someone that kind of had to work hard to, to get to where he was in the first place. And I love the fact that the farm system has given him, has rewarded him um, so quickly. So I'm, I'm super excited. I'm really happy with the way that you guys have, have shown the light on him um, because he deserved every bit of it. Yeah, appreciate that. And he does. He's going to keep doing his thing. It's, it's going to be fun to watch him. <laughs> I think my favorite quote from last season for my podcast is I walked into this year not knowing who or what a Dugan Darnell is, but I am super on board now. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else should be right there with us, all of us. Yeah. Um, so I'll go over to my number two. And uh, like Tyler, I mean, it was it was close. I just kind of flipped it. Ryan Rollison is my number two. Um, so when we talk about who is the most major league ready, um, I think Rollison, even though he didn't make his major league debut and it was because of a myriad of injuries, um, that was really just bad luck for him. It's still hard to argue that he's not the most major league ready starting pitcher, um, in this system. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that has just a little bit of reservation that keeps me from the top spot is the fastball coming out of Ole Miss was not necessarily the fastball that's developed in the system. It's gotten just a tick below. So I think that that could limit his ceiling on, you know, what kind of a rotation piece he is for the Rockies. But that doesn't mean he can't be a good contributor. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the skill set already to to break that mold and, and really stick in the starting rotation might be a little bit more of a backhand guy um, than we originally dreamed on when he was a first round pick. It's a really good arm, really good polish for the skill set that he has. And I think he's going to be a really solid contributor for the Rockies. Yeah. Love the one, two punch you guys got going on. Who you got Tyler? Yeah. So flip flopping with Chris McMahon, he, you know, once we drafted him in 2020, I was pretty thrilled about that. I expected him to be, a first round pick. So for the Rockies to get him with their third overall selection, 
I was like, wow, this is, you know, pretty awesome. Like guy who can, you know, gun it up to mid, like the mid nineties with amazing tunneling on his, on, with his changeup. And that changeup has that screwball type movement that if, you know, he continues to refine that pitch, it could be a really, really great off-speed pitch. One of the, you know, the best on the team, of course, and you might be talking about one of the best in, in the league if it really hits where it can go. I also like the fact that he has kind of like a cutter and a slider that he can mix up. That's mm. kind of one of my favorite little things that pitchers can do is vary that that horizontal movement that you can throw, you know, your your high 80s, low 90s cutter and then throw your your low 80s, mid 80s slider. And that can really throw hitters off. So I think that with that um, that four pitch mix that he has, you know, a really, really nice future. And he nailed the the difficult assignment given to him debuting in Spokane like that was really commendable and I'm surprised he's not getting more love for what he did um maybe he can change that this year in Hartford yeah he can yeah he has so much potential I think his ceiling is still still rising uh PJ Poulian hope I said that right it's a sweet last name so hopefully I didn't butcher it uh reliever (laughs) number two 44.2 innings pitch 3.6 ERA a pretty good K per nine across Spokane and Hartford last year, uh, 11.8 uh, K per nine. So just I, he did struggle when he made that jump to the double A. But I mean, who doesn't? It seems like every time somebody gets that call up, they they take their bumps, bumps and bruises there. But PJ, PJ should be on people's watch list. Yeah. And, you know, kind of what K-Dub was just saying about talking about Dugan Darnell on the podcast, like in the first half of the season, it was like that with PJ. Like you just see, oh, he had another appearance. Oh, he struck out the side again. Like it just seemed to be the usual. He was picking up just a ton of swing and misses. That didn't quite translate over to Hartford, but like, you know, in Spokane, he was striking out close to 50% of hitters, which was, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, not like a super hard thrower, which I think kind of caught up to, to him a little bit in Hartford. You know, that fastball is a little bit easier for, you know, more advanced hitters to, to see and to, to get wood on, but there's still a nice little ceiling there for a, for a lefty specialist, at least um, good slider to get the swing and miss. So pulling, we don't, we don't know how to say the last name really yet, but we'll, we'll figure it out. He deserves that. So that's a good pick at two. Yeah. Uh, who do you got? Who got at three K-Dub? So three is where I think I'm, uh, I might be going off the beaten path and I think Tyler and I might start veering in different directions. I'm going uh, with Jordi Vargas um, as my number three guy. And this is a ways out. But when I mentioned earlier, that the Rockies have a really good crop of international arms that are starting to surface in uh, the complex league and the DSL. Vargas is arguably the face of that. Um, he threw 34 and two thirds innings last year um, in the DSL. He punched out 46 hitters in those 34 and two thirds innings. Now the walks were a little bit higher on 16 um, in that time frame, but you know it's an elite fastball. It's already in the plus range. He's showing the capability to have that plus breaking offering as well. The stuff is there completely. I mean, he's going to be sitting mid 90s, reach up to the high uh, the high 90s at 18 years old. And he's 6'3 and just about 150 pounds. So he's just a, you know, a noodle, basically. Um, 
as that fills out, there's a lot in that profile that makes you believe that this could be a really impact and dominant arm if things go kind of as expected for him. So uh, real high upside, but we're going to have to wait over the next few years to really see how his development pans out. Vargas is one of those names I keep seeing pop up randomly on lists. I know, I know Tyler's talked a little bit about him too, but hopefully that comes around as he grows, grows older. Here you got Ty. Well, yeah. Um, the directions have veered a little bit. I think that's the fun of this though. Um, so I got Joe rock at number three future friend of the podcast um, spoiler, but I just, I'm a big fan of, of lefties, especially lefties that, you know, have that velo and also multiple secondary pitches. So I'm a little biased towards him, but I think that given, you know, the, the hard stuff, the deceptive delivery, um, and again, he's got a good slider, good changeup. I think that gives him a solid floor as a, like, you know, a back end guy, like that's a pretty likely outcome. Um, so I'm excited to see what he, he, he dominated in the ACL. So I'm excited to see what he does in full season. Full season will definitely be more of a test. We kind of need to see truly what the ACL is like, like what, you know, level really is that and how do guys make that transition out of there into Fresno. Um, so for me, it's Joe Rock at three. Tough decision between him and another guy that, you know, we'll get into in a moment. I, I'm talking myself into being Joe Rock believer i wasn't wasn't too familiar with them but all of, everything i'm hearing people talk about him just a big big dude that can throw and it's, it's, it's what you want like that can develop that can be good things uh number three reliever is julian fernandez we all saw him a little bit last year in purple pinstripes uh dude can just throw gas at like what is he six six yeah six six two thirty um, big, big arm, big live arm. He struck out 11, 11 guys per nine last year at the AAA level, 8.86 across both Hartford and Spokane. He was one of those weird anomalies that he was almost better in Albuquerque than Hartford, uh, with this stuff. So I expect him to be a big part of the actual rocks bullpen next year. Uh, hopefully he can figure it out, get settled in a little bit, but that arm is just going to be fun to watch. Fernandez's arm is incredible. And I think that it's been recognized for a long time. Um, I hope more people appreciate the story of Fernandez kind of getting back into baseball in 2021. I think that goes a little underappreciated because this is somebody who he was a Rockies product for a long time. And he had gone to two other organizations since he was last with the Rockies, but never pitched for those two organizations, Tommy John and pandemic and rehab really just wiped out a good portion of his career up to this point. And having not taken the mound since I believe it was 2017 to get back to 2021, be effective again and actually make his major league debut after being a rule four or excuse me, a rule five pick twice um, over the previous seasons is, is something that's pretty cool and very unique in the game. So um, Fernandez is awesome. And as you said, he absolutely hocks it. So that's fun too. Um, I'll get over to my number four and I'm going with Ryan Feltner uh, for my fourth pick. Feltner, there's a lot of guys in the system who may pass the eye test a little bit better than Ryan Feltner, but to not rank him higher from the 2021 campaign that he put together would be a bit of a disservice. As I mentioned, every time we were looking 
on a weekly and monthly basis last year at the Rocky system as a whole, it's so hard to argue against Ryan Feltner being the best minor league pitcher for the organization in 2021. And the way that Ryan Rollison had a bit of a lost year, mostly because of bad luck, Feltner really filled that void in the organization. And he compiled a terrific year across four different levels, eventually even making his major league debut. Now, he hasn't pitched much above double A. I believe he's got nine total innings above double A. So I don't expect him to hit the ground running and just be a rotation stalwart for the Rockies in 2022. But he definitely jumped quite a bit from what I think a lot of people were expecting of him in 2021. And so I think, you know, him jumping on my list has to has to reflect that. So he's my number four. Did any either one of you see him getting that call up last year? Like that was kind of out of the blue, wasn't it? It sort of ended up making sense just given I, I kind of forget all the details of that circumstance we were in, but it was kind of just like we need someone. There was quite literally nobody in AAA really that made that much sense that was really in the future plans of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. With the way Feltner had been pitching, it was kind of like, hey, let's let's give this guy some run. And, you know, it was a tough, a t- <laughs> a tough little debut for him, but that was almost to be expected. Uh, given that he hadn't pitched at AAA yet, so I think he got thrown into the wolves against the Giants in in an NL West important game uh, because they're still duking it out with the Dodgers at the time. So he was thrown to the wolves a little bit. And then you know another factor in that is he had to be added to the forty man roster in the offseason anyways. So it wasn't necessarily burning his clock. And hey, you've dominated pretty much everywhere else in the system. Mm-hmm. Let's give it a look and see how it is. So. I think it was also a, a bit of a reward uh, for that, you know, for what he had done during the season and all their other fallback options, the Castellanis out there, just you couldn't put him out there anymore. So why not give him the shot when you're going to roster him in the offseason anyways? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the isotope stack was a little, a little rough last year. Tyler, who's your number three guy? Four guy. Four, yeah. <laughs> uh, going with Jaden Hill, considered him ahead of Joe Rock. But I was someone who, you know, at the draft was a little bit lower on Jaden Hill than a lot of people we saw. It's hard to, to really say what you saw and know that that's indicative of the pitcher that Hill is, just given that, you know, the elbow gave out on him and that could have been giving him issues all year. But his fastball just really wasn't performing last or, yeah, last year. Um, crazy to think about, you know, how long ago it was for him to be pitching. It was like April, I think, the last time he pitched. Um you know, fastball just didn't perform. And for me, that's kind of one of the first benchmarks I look for in a, you know, in a starting pitching prospect is like, does this guy have a good fastball? And you would expect him to have a really good one given that he's like mid upper nineties, but I wasn't, you know, flattered by it really. However, he's got still great arm action and he's got a a changeup that can be really dominant and the slider can be plus two. So with those two secondary pitches that do work really well, Hopefully the Rockies can figure out like, hey, let's rework your fastball a little bit, um, hopefully to miss some more bats and not get hit as much. Um, I think he has as high of a ceiling as, you know, any pitcher in this this system, just given the pure arm talent that he has and, you know, the athleticism to repeat his delivery. Um, for me, though, yeah, I got to stick him at four um, behind fellow draft mate Joe Rock, but we could see that change with his pro debut this year. Do you – do you see the Rockies rushing him back? Like, is he starting in April? We're going to see him in June. What do you think they're doing with the TJ stuff? 
Yeah, so I, I think we touched on that a little bit last week that he's kind of in this weird spot that, you know, April Tommy John surgery. So you kind of got to block out at least 12 months for recovery. But with a guy like him that there's a lot to work on, you might not want to throw him out there, you know, as soon as he's deemed like he's cleared, you might want to take some time. I, I feel like an ACL debut makes a lot of sense, but then you have to wait until, you know, mid late June. So maybe you give him all this extra time to recover, to develop, you know, make some changes to his arsenal. I'm kind of thinking I'm leaning towards that, that that's the path they'll take with him, but we could see a Fresno debut in, you know, mid May, mid late May. Uh, those are kind of the two scenarios I could see playing out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping they take their time with them. Um, my next guy, number four reliever is Logan Cozart. Um, the numbers don't really stand out like, Hey, look at this guy, but dude, man, is a workhorse 51 innings pitched uh, 3.6 ERA. 9.5 Ks per nine. He dropped his ERA one full point across like two months. So we're looking at 18 innings. He dropped it from a four, six to a three, six, uh, just was the go-to guy late innings, late season for Albuquerque down below. Um, I imagine he's going to be one of the next guys up for the bullpen when we, uh, are drinking a little bit too much because of it in, in course. But I think, Kozar should be a name that everybody should know about. Yep, I agree. Um, did a good job finding outs in um, an Albuquerque environment that is not very uh, kind no. <laughs> to, to arms either, too. So um, I'll move on to my number five, and I'm going with Joe Rock uh, on my five. Um, a lot of the same sentiments that Tyler expressed with Joe Rock. There's a lot to be optimistic. I think there's a little bit more polish than – uh, that he showed in his final year in Ohio and his brief stint in the complex league uh, than I think a lot of people expected. So there's good stuff with it. There's a little bit more command than we thought. And for anybody who hasn't seen the video of him, deception almost is a, is a disservice. This mm -hmm. dude has some serious funk when he delivers the ball to the plate. And it's just really looks like an uncomfortable at bat with good stuff coming at you from a pretty big frame um it doesn't get to the same point but if you can remember kyle freeland and the hitch that he had on his delivery right before um he would get to release rock has that except for somehow he also does like a, a donkey horse kick with his back foot first before he he lets it rip so that's something that is very unique uh to a to a prospect and those things really can be what end up being a ticket to success and big league careers. And I think rock already kind of has that cemented. Now there's going to be whatever adjustments need to be made to make sure he can have command in the zone with his stuff, but it's good stuff. It's a funky delivery. It's a big frame. There's a good fallback risk, at least of being a good middle inning reliever piece. Um, if, if starting doesn't work out long-term, but do through a no hitter, it, against Moorhead State in his draft year. He deserved that top spot. Good stuff. And, and someone that uh, I really look forward to seeing what he does in his first full season. He just has yeah. a game that's perfect for the Rockies. Yes, that too. You can't discount that, right? <laughs> and I forgot to mention when I was given, you know, a little analysis that I, I've heard a little bit of Josh Hader comparisons with him that we think, you know, Josh Hader was a, he was a great starting pitching prospect, but 
he, I don't think I've ever seen him start a game in the big leagues. I think he might've started like two, but we know him as the best or the second best reliever in baseball. You know, maybe Joe Rock's not quite as good, but that's like the fallback. That's a really cushy fallback to have. So God, like 80% might. of hater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even like 50% would be pretty sweet. So who's your number five, Tyler? So, you know, on the topic of the funky lefties, we've got Sam Weatherly at five for me. Um, you know, again, I love the lefties that just have big stuff. Uh, and we that was, you know, Weatherly coming out of Clemson, it was like big stuff, but can he throw it in the strike zone? Uh, way too many walks at Clemson, but he also like didn't really get hit. And um, that's something that I think is a pro because if you're athletic enough and you can make these changes to your delivery, you can rein the command in, but you know, are you going to have the pure stuff that's going to be able to miss bats? And most guys can't say that they do, but Sam Weatherly, you know, mid upper nineties fastball, like Joe rock mixes it with the Frisbee slider, you know, the changeups coming along. I think when we talked to him, he had mentioned that he's trying to develop his curveball too. So if he can bring that along and have this four pitch mix with, you know, power, He's got a bit of deception himself. There's a super high ceiling with him. I think you watch every, you know, start of his with a little bit of, you know, concern. Like, can he, like, just, you're hoping that he doesn't walk four guys because there were quite a few games where, you know, he got away from himself a little bit, walked more than you'd like. But then he also had a handful of games where, you know, he walked like one guy and struck out nine. So, yeah, Sam Weatherly's a, a dude to me. I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, you know, coming off of an injured second half. Yeah, his his stuff is electric. It's just it's fun to watch him pitch. The few games I watched at Fresno before his injury, it was it was fun. It was really fun. Um, reliever number five is Phineas Delbonta Smith. Uh, not only is his name really cool, but he's out of nowhere. Twenty second round pick in twenty nineteen. Um, 52 innings pitch, 1.04 whip, 11 strikeouts per nine. Just did his thing in Fresno, Spokane, and it should be recognized. An out-of-nowhere guy just competing every single day. I think that Spokane bullpen is something to be aware of. Like There are some names in that bullpen that we should all know about, and Phineas is one of those guys. I mean, you should know the name just because that's like the most aristocratic name in the minor leagues. I feel like <laughs> uh, he's actually a former teammate of uh, editor and my purple um, or my pebble report podcast partner, uh, Justin Wick. So Justin has given us a little bit of inside information on him too, but I mean, he, he really shined in, in 2021. So I like that pick for sure. Um, I'm on to my number six now and I, went with Jaden Hill in the number six spot. I was a lot more excited. It sounds like than Tyler was um, when the Rockies were able to select him um, in the comp round last season, there was a lot of helium around Jaden Hill heading into 2021. And I mean, the profile itself, it's a huge fastball. I mean, and first of all, the guy is a middle linebacker on the mound. So it's a huge, huge, uh, profile with high 90s fastball. The changeup is it can be a plus plus pitch. And just to have the high floor of a very solid setup closer type guy 
uh, I feel like you're pretty confident that you're getting at least that with him, with that selection. Um, if he's able to develop more, if he's able to one, stay healthy, because that's a big thing with Jaden Hills. There is so much uncertainty, not only about the Tommy John that he has right now, but in his time at LSU, he threw like 50 innings over three years or, or something to that degree. So there's not a long track record with Jaden Hill. The stuff will speak for itself when it's out there, but it can be a little shaky and get hit up a little bit. He had a good, strong start to um, his 2020 before the shutdown. And that's really the only time that we've seen what that Jaden Hill could be that, that dynamic top 10 pick that a lot of people had him in mind for heading into 2021. So the talent alone, I have to, you know, acknowledge the upside with that selection. We'll see when he gets out here. Um, I agree that it's a predicament on how they're going to approach getting him into game action in 2022 when he's rehab. Um, I think that they are going to be super conservative with him, but I think that the emphasis is really going to be to hit the ground running with him as a starting pitcher. And they're not um, going to put him in the bullpen to ease him into action. They want him starting games as soon as he's ready. So I don't know how much they're going to be able to flirt with extended spring trainings um, and those things. I could see him really sticking down there the entire time in an instruct format before they just put him in the complex league um, to make sure he's built up to start games, but it's a big talent. That's for sure. Yeah. Again, I hope they kind of ease into it with him and let him, let him get healthy. So his talent does rise to the top. You got Tyler. Uh, Brian Feltner gotten some, some love already last year. Yeah. As, as K-Dub said, you could not watch what he did last season and not give him the respect of, you know, moving him up a list, um, at least, you know, keeping him where he's at, depending on, you know, how high you were on him. But just seeing that his stuff can play at the upper minors is, you know, that's a huge check mo- or checkbox for, for guys to me. Like, can you can your stuff, you know, survive when you're facing near MLB talent? And we saw that. I think you kind of have to throw away the AAA MLB numbers a little bit because mm-hmm. of how difficult of a transition and an assignment that was you look back at the pure stuff and you see, you know, a really solid mid nineties fastball. His changeup has gotten a lot of love um, for a while. And he's also got that slider. He can mix in. I forget, you know, how he, I, I want to say he threw a few curveballs in his MLB debut, kind of forgetting if he did or not. Um, but I think there's three solid pitches there, you know, kind of what these later guys were discussing is like, there's a bullpen floor and, and the Rockies need a lot of depth in the bullpen. Obviously you want your starters to pan out as starters, but um, floor is a big thing when you're, you know, talking about these guys. And I think Feltner along with Rollison and McMahon, I, I would argue that Feltner's floor is the third highest in, in the Rocky system for starters. So um, big on him. He's sixth for me. Love that. Our names are popping up on each side. Like we really have these guys that we're looking out for. Uh, my last reliever to look out for is Anderson Pilar, 61 innings pitched down in low A Fresno. Uh, didn't allow a lot of walks, did not allow home runs. I think he allowed three last season overall, maybe two. 1.61 ERA, just a, just a guy doing his thing, not allowing people on, getting people out. And if you're throwing 61 innings, like you are reliable. So Anderson Pilar, uh, hopefully he's making his name known a little bit more in Spokane as he works his way through the ranks. 
Yeah, and he was one of those guys because Fresno had a just a weird situation with their rotation last year. A lot of injuries, tons of injuries. And so you had a lot of these guys taking on this hybrid role of basically being an opener, except, you know, you got to throw three or four innings. And Pilar did a fantastic job with that. Like him and Tony Losey, those two really stood out to me as these guys that were, you know, able to bounce into the rotation. And it's almost like, does does Pilar get that shot next season as kind of that starting type? I think ultimately his stuff probably plays a lot better in shorter stints, but you know, his, you know, those stats are really padded by some fantastic outings mm-hmm. where he threw multiple innings to start a game. And, you know, that's, you know, something to keep an eye on, like what the Rockies do with him certainly earned a, a chance to start some more games. We smell an opener in the making. <laughs> um, do the Rockies use openers? <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole nother can of worms. um i'll i'll go with my seventh and i'm gonna mix it up a little bit because i did have um sam weatherly as my seventh and i think tyler really um gave a great overview uh you know i rounded him into form as you know he's nuclear loose right now so we'll see what ends up happening uh with weatherly but the stuff plays and it's big um i'll actually go down the list to the guy that i had tied for eighth and that's hell chris olivares and I Helkris Olivares is the drug that I just can't quit. I, I feel like um, he's still very, very young and nobody is prettier to watch on the mound. It's very smooth mechanics, very loud stuff. Does it with a lot of ease with a huge fastball. And he's really developing, you know, a, a plus plus breaking ball out of it. But man, that control has to come around eventually. And if it doesn't, you know, that's, that's not the difference between, uh, him succeeding as a starter or him being converted to the bullpen. That's the difference of him making it to the big leagues at all. And, you know, when we talk about floor and as Tyler was just saying, you know, Feltner, McMahon, Rollison, those are all high floor guys where we feel confident that these are major league caliber pitchers. Helkers Olivares is that volatility where he could be an ace. He could be a staff ace, or he could just never make it there. I mean, between, um, hit batsman and walks last year. I believe he had 91 innings and something around 80 to 85 free passes between walks and hit batters. Yeah. And, you, and that's in high A Spokane. So, you know, it's, it's still young. I still believe he's only 21 years old. And last year was really a big full season for him. If that command, if that control really ever starts coming around, this is a huge, huge piece that the Rockies could see in their future pitching staff, but it's a real gamble right now, whether or not that's ever going to come, but at least got to give them, you know, the love because it's that big of a talent. And he is yeah. a, go ahead. He's just such an anomaly because we all got to see him in spring training and he has such a picturesque delivery. Mm. You would think that with how smooth his delivery is, he'd have at least like a semblance of, you know, consistent command and control over his pitches, but you know, this is, I think, the second year running in the minors where you're kind of like, you know, the stuff is great, but he's running himself into a lot of trouble. Not even just guys are seeing him and hitting him. He's, you know, doing all of this to himself. Um, would love, love, love if he could, you know, make some strides, even if we settle for that bullpen, you know, role in the future. But as K-Dub said, you know, we're not talking right now starter reliever. 
does he have what it takes to pitch through double A? We'll find out this season. Yeah, highest ceiling and lowest floor is, yeah. is what we're looking at there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really hope he figures it out. So to finish my list, I have compared this guy, and we've discussed him already. I compare him actually to like a right-handed version of Hell Chris Olivares. And that's Jordi Vargas, who K-Dub mentioned. I think he was your third. Um, you know, I see a very similar type of pitcher here, kind of with the, the worrisome aside, um, you know, big fastball and just this amazing natural ability to spin the baseball and have this plus curveball in his back pocket. For a guy who's so young to have that ability to, you know, get movement and break on the curveball it's it's special to say the least so I see him kind of like Olivares that that's his calling card is you know big fastball great curveball when he commands it Uh, I see the same kind of profile with Vargas or not Vargas um, no yeah with Vargas Uh, I was I was thinking of Victor Juarez too he was the other guy I was really considering here Um, but Vargas you know big arm I hope I think he has better command than than Olivares does, but I think once guys are really being tested, sometimes they try to do too much. So mm-hmm. I, you know, if you're not one of these, you know, pinpoint type guys, there's always that risk that you'll do too much and you'll kind of mess with your mechanics a little bit. So I hope we never see that with Vargas because his arm talent is is crazy. Yeah, and he's young, 18 years old. Six three has a body to build into and uh, some age to grow into. Also, uh, excited for that. Those are your top seven. Uh, some la- overlap, but little swishing, swashing around, and some other different names that you guys kind of put out there. Uh, that was fun. These are names that we should all have on our radar. And if anything, it's. Rockies fans are always leery of pitching, right? We have to be. So what are we watching as these guys grow, go all the way up through Albuquerque and do their thing? Um, I'm excited. We have a lot of live arms that have that ceiling, that floor, that low floor, high floor. There we go. That we, that we want, right? So that was cool. That was fun. Um, all right, let's end it with this. So we always end it with our guys that we're going to watch throughout the season. Uh, my guys, Nick Bush and Sean Bouchard. Uh, Tyler's got his Zach Kokoska and Bryce McGowan. Who are your kind of your dudes that you're watching this year, K-Dub? Uh, my guys, I have McCade Brown and Yankee L. Fernandez. Um, you know, this, there's a lot of talent between these two guys. Um, and when we talked, you know, when I started at the beginning of the show and I talked about how I evaluate prospects, I think that there is already a high floor for these two guys, but I do see something where they could rise into something a little bit more special in both of their cases. Um, McCade Brown is one of the biggest frames that are that's in the system. He's at 6'6", 225, but it's very mild mechanics, very easy to the plate. Um, he did have a high velo spike heading into uh, the fall of 2020. He kind of came back down to earth a little bit more where he was sitting a little bit more in the, the lower 90s. I think that if they can really unlock a little bit more of his back leg drive, make him a little bit more violent to the plate, that is someone who could end up pitching and having that velo uh, spike that would be a little bit more sustainable. 
And he's never going to be a really good command guy. He's never going to live on the edges. But if he can live 97, you 97 up in the zone, even if it's over the middle of the plate, is a lot harder to hit than 92 on the corner. Um, so I see, I see a possibility and a road to where he could end up being a John Gray. The frame is there. I think it can have a big fastball, and I think that it can play well enough in the zone to be a solid middle rotation guy. And the high floor for him ends up being he has a plus curveball, and he does, you know, he can sit in 95 heat in shorter stints. So you know that there's a pretty solid bullpen piece that exists with him. Um, and then to touch on Fernandez, the dude has insane bat speed. I mean, those, those hands are explosive. And I think as a lefty outfielder with a plus arm in the corner, there's a pretty safe profile right there of a platoon guy that can mash fastball mistakes. And you see a pretty clear path for him. But when we see in full season ball, what his approach looks like, what his pitch recognition looks like, that could be someone who could end up, you know, elevating into an all-star profile. Um, and so there's, there's going to be a lot that we're going to learn about Fernandez over the next couple of seasons, but man, if that plate approach is there to go along with those physical gifts that he has, that could be a special ball player in the future for the Rockies. Yeah. Two really solid picks, like both some of the highest upsides in the system for the respective positions. And overall, um, I, I think you mentioned with McKay Brown and his curveball. I think his overall secondary profile is, you know, pretty promising. Nothing is overly consistent at this point, but I mean, these guys are, are fresh to pro ball. So there's a lot of time to develop these things. And you know, there's a chance for him to have two breaking balls and a changeup. Um, and then Yankeel Fernandez has definitely become a favorite of mine. Just huge power. I think that I was impressed by his, you know, advanced approach at the plate overall plate presence. It, it hints at a pretty high floor, like you were saying, at least a platoon guy. But, you know, a lot more could be unlocked there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, if we learned anything from this last hour of this podcast, it's to be patient. We have, we have a few years before we see these guys. And when they all come up at the same time and they're all together, we can start seeing what they're made of, what their talent level is, and what those, those ceilings are going to be. And just be patient. There are – the light is at the end of the tunnel. That's quote of the pod, right? Uh, yeah, I'm getting a little, I'm, I'm, I'm so amped for this. I, I need MILV to start next week. This is exciting. I mean, this is a good opportunity on the lockout for people that wouldn't normally watch pro or uh, minor league games or, or follow prospects very closely, uh, to, to have that thirst quenched for baseball. Mm -hmm. It's a silver lining, I guess, of the lockout more than anything to, to become a little bit more familiar with these players, because, there's very little that's as uh, gratifying in the game for me as kind of following the progress of somebody for such a long right. duration and kind of seeing that game develop and become something bigger and bigger and bigger each year. It doesn't happen with everybody, but when you get to experience it on the ground floor and then just watch the progress along the way, it's, it's a really cool experience. And I think it, it gives you a much better appreciation for that player, um, you know, seeing how far they've come. It's just fun too. It gives you something to look forward forward to and get excited about. Like Dugan Darnell is our dude, and he we will die on that hill whether he takes a bad turn or not. Like he is our man, our dude. And it's just it gives that that extra 
that extra oomph to the season to start. I mean, I was watching D2 baseball online today. Like I was, <laughs> I was doing, I need baseball. I was getting my baseball mm-hmm. fix in some way. So I, I agree with that sentiment. It's, it's opening the eyes of the minor leagues a little bit more, this college baseball stuff. It's, it's good to be a baseball fan, not just an MLB fan. And let's dive into this together. Uh, Ken, appreciate you hanging out with us. This was fun. Um, always, always enjoy your articles on Purple Row. And it's just, it was good talking ball, man. Thanks for yeah. joining us. I mean, it goes on mute. Um, you, you guys are awesome. I mean, I, I really do appreciate the invitation and I love the work that you guys are doing over at Blake Street Banter and, and Rocks Pile for you, Tyler. So, I mean, keep up the awesome work and, you know, hey, the more information that we can spread to, to get people excited about the Rockies and the, sure. the system, the better off it is for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like we were just saying, I think this is the perfect time for people to be getting into the minors with, you know, how much talent is here. We're not, you know, overly sugarcoating this. There's a lot to like here. Um, so much deserved coverage for these guys. Yeah. All right. Go Rocks, minor league affiliates. Woo! Thank you for watching and listening. Please check out our link tree for more content.